good job. I bumped into Ron after the first service and uh, wondered whether or not, am I guessing that it's mostly, I mean, I know it's Packerville here, I mean, on the front row, there's no doubt about it, but, and I'm guessing probably the Minnesota Vikings, is it, is it pretty well like a 50-50 around a place like this, or is it more, no, Quit. more Vikings, okay, so I, I wasn't quite sure, but I was afraid maybe this would be over the top when I'm, I'm a foreigner from the outside, but, uh, you know, my bride told me, she said, now, Jason, it said like 20 inches of snow possibly, and you better take a coat. But I was just out walking around, and it is so warm, I thought, I'm going to get too hot if I wear a coat. So I just figured, you know, while I'm here at least, I'll just hang my coat, because <laughs> I don't really need it while I'm in here, you know, so, because I, I bleed green and blue, <laughs> I don't care about the Vikings or the Packers unless they lose. I mean, it, no, that's not true. Once we're out of it, I would rather see either one of them win it than the AFC teams. But as long as we're in it, uh, yeah, I'm sorry. And it just, uh, but that's what loyal fans are about, right? So it's okay. I'm just glad that at least as of the last few years, I've had a lot to cheer for. I uh, was looking over the bulletin, and I said this last service. I'm not, I don't usually try to be real political. I mean, guys that have been around me at your men's retreat, you know, if you're trying to be political, you're not very good at it, you know? But um, I was looking at this, a uniqueness of Christianity in the world of religions. Wednesday, 645, 745, February 22 through March 29, room 225. Uh, he said some nice things, Jason you know, about me. I have paid so many times to bring him in to talk to stuff about this out of state. You know, he's good at this. And I, I read that and I thought, y'all get to hear him for free as just one of your pastors in the church. If you don't take advantage of that, I, I would be sitting here going, why? Why? Uh, you've got people outside this place. He and his pop, him, those are great people. That's, that's the truth. It's the absolute truth. You're great people. God bless you. Anyway, I, th- I thought, man, what a treat to have something like that in your own church. Um, the subject that I have, uh, was asked to speak on was an overview of spiritual warfare, which I had to keep an eye on Mickey's hands, and even that doesn't always work too well for me, but someone can throw something at me. Um, there's so much you can share about the subject. Sometimes in conference, I'm, I'm speaking five, six, even seven times over a weekend on just the one theme. In other words, there's a lot of different directions you can take it. But what, what I think Jason wanted for this morning was just kind of an overview. And what that can mean, if any of you are nervous when you read that, like, is he one of these guys that's on the TV at 3 o'clock in the morning and, you know, he's going to start drooling and you know, throwing people on the ground. That doesn't have anything to do with anything. This is just basically going to be something that is an overview on a subject that I wish I'd have learned something about in Bible school. I didn't. Something about it in seminary. I didn't. It was a retired missionary that finally came up to me one day and said, son, I was 28 years old. You don't know anything about spiritual warfare, do you? And he said, what are they teaching you in Bible school and seminary about it? And I said, to ridicule it. 
It's on at 3 o'clock in the morning. It's associated with people that feel good but don't know their Bibles. Uh, people that, you know, will sell you a hanky for a thousand bucks with two miracles promised to be inside that if you'll send it to their ministry. And, and uh, I don't want to have anything to do with that. And uh, it wasn't until I'm a pastor in a church and I'm starting to recognize I'm very aware of physiological issues and we've got doctors that can work well with that. I'm very aware of mental issues and we've got good counselors that can work with that. But there are people that are somewhere in between that that the pills don't help too much and the long-term counseling doesn't seem to do anything other than just depress people even more. And we've just laughed those people off. I mean, they're kind of the forgotten people in the middle. Um, I don't talk too much about the joy of Jesus because I just try and hold on. Um, you know, I'm sure that's wrong, but you know, since I messed everything else up in my life, I probably messed the Christian thing up too. And our response was either you're weak-willed or you just don't read your Bible, or you don't pray, or you don't trust God, which would usually just drive people into more depression, you know. So the pastor and wanting to be helpful wasn't all that helpful. So at any rate, I started getting an education on this, and uh, really in 1982. And, uh, and I just realized we shouldn't have been making fun. We should have been actually trying to say, a paradigm that I have of either spiritual warfare represents something really simple, so just ignore it, or it's something so bizarre that you'll never see it in your church. They're locked up. You know, for us, it's 8 North or wherever some of your psych words are. You don't usually see them in church, and the rest of us are just fine. Um, That's naive. I mean, it's not that it's not sincere. It's just not complete. So at any rate, an overview. Uh, Here's where I want to start, and and if you... uh, if, if, uh, if this rings a bell and you enjoy this uh, and it's helpful, then Jason, who invited me, is an absolute genius. If what I say you hate and can't stand it, then it's on me that I just didn't do much of a job in sharing, you know? So here we go. When I'm talking about spiritual warfare, big overview, think of a pie. If I had a pie behind me, I would cut it in three pieces I would make them just as equal as I could make them. I want symmetry. Under one of those pieces of the pie, put a W for world. Under one of those pieces of the pie, put F for flesh. Under one of those pieces of pie, put D for demonic. Or if you've got to feel more sophisticated, you can put physiological, sociological, and supernatural. And then, you know, if you use bigger words, then I guess that makes you smarter. Here's the big news. The Bible doesn't say demons are the only opposition that we face as Christians. If my whole focus is on demons, I find out that the Bible talks about the world representing opposition, the flesh representing opposition. You can be an expert on demons, and you can still get your behind kicked every single day because if you're ignoring two of the three opponents that the Bible's pretty clear you struggle with, you lose more than you win. The circles I came out of, we ignored the demonic, so it's all about the flesh. Why worry about that demon stuff? I mean, the flesh is plenty, plenty tough to deal with, so just, just really learn how to work with the flesh. That's great if that's the only direction your hits come from. But I have no guarantee in this life that I can always just have to deal with the flesh or always just have to deal with the world or always have to deal with demons. Consequently, I end up guessing because I'm not sure what to do. 
And the tube sock, one, I have tube socks. I thought, thank God for who invented them, at least for guys. You don't have to worry where the heels are. You just pull them on and you throw your shoes on and you take off, right? But see, it was kind of a tube sock response. Carl, as long as you're reading your Bible and as long as you're memorizing Scripture and as long as you're praying, everything will always eventually get better. Except when you're working vocationally in ministry with people every single day for 40 years, you find out that's not the case. I know lots of people that read their Bibles, they memorize Scripture, and they feel like their body is a prison. They feel like their mind is a prison. And those are the people that we would stick in that middle and just say, you're on the inside, but they feel like they're on the outside looking in because it just never, never works. So they relegate themselves to, come quickly, Lord Jesus, and I'll just hold on as long as I can. That's pitiful. It's absolutely pitiful. But what's really pitiful about it was people like me that would ignore people like that. They're just weak-willed, Jason. I mean, all they'll do is suck all your energy. I mean, who's got time to take care of drama kings and drama queens that make stuff up in their thinking? And I just don't have time for it. I mean, I'm here to win the world for Jesus. With the three pieces of the pie, with the world, there are lots of verses you can use in the flesh and the devil. But I use two verses for each one, and that's purposeful. With the world, I use 1 John 2, 15 to 17, and James 4, 4. With the flesh, I use Romans 7, 15 to 25, and Galatians 5, 17. With the demonic or the supernatural, the devil, I use James chapter 4, 6, and 7, and 1 Peter chapter 5, 6 through 9. Why? Why do I want the pieces of the pie looking equal, and why do I want two verses and two verses and two verses? I've had people say, Carl, you could get 15 verses on the flesh. Man, you're only giving them two. Uh, You're right, I probably could. Why do I just use two, two, and two? Because I'm trying to communicate subtly or not so subtly. The Bible says all three of these represent opposition, and any one of them can kick your natural. If I put 15 verses underneath the flesh, and I put one underneath the world, and two underneath the devil, what if I just communicated to people that are thinking about warfare? This one's really important. This one's kind of important. And this one you can just ignore. It's not that big a deal. That's not what the book says. So I'm not going to promote that. When I'm thinking about all three of those, I go, here's my goal. I want you to walk out of here saying, I can recognize what he's talking about. And I have a real good understanding or at least a clue now, if you don't, maybe some of you already do, how to respond to it. You can lay out a problem for someone, but if you don't give resolution to it, it's like, thanks. Now I've just got more on my mind, right? So I'm going to try not to do that. I want to recognize and respond. When I'm talking about the world, I would write on that piece of pie the word external. Because solicitation from the world is always, always, always external. That's part of the MO for the world. What does it represent? I like billboards. like music. I, I keep oldies off my, off my radio. Now, in my office, I've got Motown playing most of the time. My office, at first thought, what's wrong with the pastor? He doesn't have the Gaithers. He's always got the temps and the tops and spinners. And Now they say, hey, aren't you going to put a little bit of that music on? I go, yeah, they can sing. Five guys that can harmonize instead of one guy that screeches. Man, I'll take the five that can harmonize every single time, right? But 
When I'm driving, if I got Motown on, my foot goes down harder because I'm going. And got, wife, wife will say, Carl, slow down, slow down. I go, oh, yeah, I just learned this, turn it off. I just, I, you know. But at any rate, billboards. I'm driving down, uh, I'm driving down the highway, and I'm, I'm not thinking about anything to drink or anything to eat, but I see this big billboard, and it's, I'm driving down towards uh, San Diego from Sacramento, and it's 110 in the shade. And I see a sign that says, Richie's Diner, one half mile, we have cold Coca-Cola. I say to my wife, man, I'm thirsty. Let's go get a Coke. Or as my slim girlish figure, I'll turn sideways so you can see it. I like ice cream. I see a sign that says Haagen-Dazs or Baskin-Robbins, 31 choices. I'm going, man, Gail, wouldn't some ice cream be really good right now? I wasn't thinking about that before. It was something external that triggered my mind on something, and now I'm responding to it. What are we talking about with the world? Well, 16 says that there's three gates associated with this opponent we call the world. World's the word cosmos. Remember Carl Sagan's program? He may have it figured out by now. I'm afraid he's he's not where we want to be, I don't think unless something changed right near the end that nobody knew about. But I had an eight-year-old come up to me, and he said, God loved the world so much that he gave his son for it, right? And I said, yeah. And then he said, but First John 2, these are wanna kids, just, just said if you love the world, the love of God is not in you. And I said, yeah. He says, am I supposed to love God, or am I supposed to love the world or hate the world? Uh, Jason, I've said to people, I've had seminary kids that didn't come up with that kind of perception. I, I looked and I said, that's actually pretty good. It's a good question. The word world, cosmos, has seven or eight meanings if you look at it, but the three are dominant. It can mean an organized system in rebellion against God. That's one primary. It can be a synonym used for people. That's a second. And it's used for the twinkly things God made the world, the heavens, the earth, the sea, and everything that's in it. The writers are figuring we are smart enough to look at the context of what's being said about the world and say, is he using it as a synonym for people? John 3.16, he's using it as what? God so loved the world. He's not talking about Jesus didn't die for trees. He didn't die for rocks. You know, the East, at least Hindu, they got that wrong. Some of our, some of our you know, environmental lovers of everything, God bless you, but God died for people. When you're looking at 1 John 2 or you're looking at James 4, 4, you're talking about an organized system that is in rebellion against God. When you look at an Acts 17, 24, you're looking at God who made the world. He's talking about the whole created order. So I said, young man, it just depends on the context. When we're talking about 1 John 2, he's saying if you love a system that's in rebellion against God, and the love there, I mean, you've heard probably lots of, lots of different words, but it's that one that means sacrificial love. That's, that's the word that's, that's used there, that type of love. In other words, if you're willing to sacrifice for this world, then don't say you sacrifice for God because you can't do both of them at the same time. It's not possible. Well, how does it work? That same young man said, uh, well, what's the right? I said, well, lust the flesh, lust the eye, both for pride of life. And he said, well, I won't do it, but I don't even know what it is. And I thought, that's pretty good, Carl. You use God words that you assume everybody understands, and most people are polite enough to go, okay. This kid was just young enough, and he goes, well, I don't want to do it. I just don't know what it means, right? I say, well, when you think about the lust of the flesh, you're talking about external solicitation that triggers a physiological response in you. 
That would be my what? My Haagen-Dazs or my Coca-Cola triggered externally. When I'm talking about the lust of the eye, I'm talking about solicitation external, but it drives me to envy. The idea is the love of beauty. That was the idea. Uh, you have a Benz and I have a Faithmobile. You have a beautiful car and I have a rotten car. You have a beautiful house. I have a rotten house. Jason has uh, some of the most expensive paintings in his house you've ever seen. And I've got Carl Payne paint by numbers. I mean, <laughs> I love God just as much as Jason. How come he gets the good stuff and I'm stuck with the junk? You know, he's got Armani suits and I'm wearing... Someone said, you dress funny. I said, well, in Seattle, I look normal. But um, <laughs> it's okay. In other words, you've got it, I want it, and God, you're holding out on me till I get what you've got. That's the lust of the eye. Boastful pride of life was the idea of ambition out of control. It was the idea like uh, I wanted to get good grades. I did. In high school, I didn't. It was all a game. Uh, I had to get good enough grades that Dad would let me drive a car. He said, if your grade average goes down below a B, you won't drive a car as long as you live under this roof. So guess what? I always made sure I got at least Bs. I was not going to be a senior riding bicycles, you know, kind of thing. He, he motivated me. But what if I had cheated? In other words, I look over on another person's paper. You know, I take their, uh, their work and then I sign my name to it. And I got a good grade. I'm glad you got a good grade. But that's ambition out of control. Because that's cheating. In other words, you're stepping outside what you know is the will of God to accomplish something. That's not just ambition. That's ambition that's out of control. That's wrong. I want that car. That's good. Just don't rob a bank to get it. You rob a bank to get it, don't say, look what God blessed me with. Say you're a carnal dog that robbed a bank because you are so envious of what someone else had. It's sin. Just, just call it for what it is. <laughs> How do I respond Remember, I can recognize it. It's external. It either triggers a physiological response, a greed kind of thing, envy, I've got to have it, or ambition, I'm going to do whatever I have to do to get it, and then I'll pray to God about it later. Verse 17 says, Carl, when you're dealing with the world, remember, the things of this world fade away, but the things of God abide forever. Anyone that says the world isn't pretty, you're kidding yourself. It can be real pretty. That's a lie. Oh, I just don't want the stuff of the world. I don't mind having it if I don't have to cheat or lie to get it, you know. I'm just not going to sell my soul to get it. Why? Remember something, Carl. The things of this world fade away. It's a bad investment. I recently had to replace a car because my best car, 185,000 miles on that baby, but it's the, my other one, my, my mechanic says you can drive around town to work, but don't go out of town with it. So that's the one I drive. My other one, the one 185,000 miles, but we could still drive it. He said, yeah, you can go across state with that or whatever. My wife drove it in on January 22nd, parked, got out of it, caught on fire and burned up. So my first thought was, I hope you got my Seahawk hat. And no, it wasn't. My, my wife's prayers were great. She grabbed her purse. She grabbed my Seahawk hat. She grabbed my Seahawk blanket. She jumped out and my car burned. Now, big thing is my bride's alive. I thought, what would have happened if she was on the freeway getting to the church instead of parking and getting out of the car? I thought, I, I did. I said, thank you, Lord. I didn't think, bummer, I'm down a car. I thought, thank God my wife is alive, right? It's okay to want a nice car. Nothing wrong with that. 
But if at some point I'm saying what I'm going to have to do to get that is to have my wife walking barefoot and pregnant, my kids have no clothes, we have no food, I'm going, you're an idiot. You're selling, you're sacrificing for the wrong thing. Remember something. There are things that eternal that last forever. Those are the things of God. There are things of time, they fade away. Do not give away things that are worth more for things that are worth less because you'll step away. Guy asked me, he said, you push pretty hard on cars. I say, I drive them until the wheels drop off. You know, I take good care of them. But I said, from the moment I leave this lot, that car's going to do nothing but go down in value. I mean, it doesn't matter whether you put 15 miles on it or 150,000 miles on it. And ask me if I know what I'm talking about. As soon as you drive off the lot, you're not going to sell it back to anybody for what you just paid for it. You lose money on those things. So why am I going to make that something that I just lust after? I go, why? It's a losing proposition. He said, what are you looking for? I said, something Consumer Report says is much better than average on reliability because when it's all said and done, I just want it to keep going back and forth and back and forth. When I sell out cheap, I give away eternal treasure for temporary trash, and that is a bad, bad trade. And you don't have to be a teenager. You'll say, young people, you're being hit with that all the time. You are. But adults, grandmas, grandpas, we catch the same thing. Different toys, same principle. How do I deal with the world? First, I recognize it, external. I know what it's trying to trigger, and I know what I need to do. You don't have to say it's not good or not pretty. You just say it's not worth what they're asking me to put into it. I want my treasure going into things that last forever. The flesh, second piece of the pie. What am I talking about? Carl, you just said the lust of the flesh was part of the struggle with the world, and now you're saying there's a whole second piece of the pie called the lust of the flesh. Aren't you just being repetitive? No. The lust of the flesh is a second piece of the pie on my chart, which you can imagine behind me. The, the intrigate is internal. Remember I said the world? Always, always, always external. The lust of the flesh, Paul talks about in Romans 7, he says, there's an entity within me, me the one wanting to do good. The good I want to do, I don't. The things I don't want to do, I end up doing. What in the world is going on? Or in Galatians 5, 16 says, when you walk controlled by the Spirit, you won't carry out the strong desires of the flesh. But the Spirit wars against your flesh. The flesh wars against the, uh, the world. These are within you that you may not do the things that you choose to do. Is he talking to believers in Galatians 5 and Romans 7? Say yes. Because he is. Is he saying there's still a battle that goes on? Say yes. Because yes, there is. And if you're a Christian, you're honest, you know, unless you're going to tell me your sin nature was eradicated and you never struggle, I'm going to go, you're a liar. Let me talk to your spouse. Let me talk to your kids. And we'll get that settled real fast. What it's saying is there's a battle that goes on. How do I respond to that battle? Well, 2 Timothy 2.2 2 says there are some struggles with the flesh that are so powerful, Run. I just don't win at them. I get beat up all the time. I used pastor high school and college kids for 20 years, right? You know, worked with a youth worker, youth pastor, whatever. I love doing that. I would have kids come up and say, Carl, when I'm with these friends, I walk with Jesus. And when I'm with these friends, I don't. Would you pray with me so I know what to do? I told a group of kids, no, I'm not praying with you about that. They looked up at me, and one of the girls said, you're a pastor, you got to pray with us. I said, you don't need prayer. You already know what you're supposed to do. This isn't where you need more information. It's supposed to act on the information you already have. You answered your own question. 
I'm with them, I walk with God. I'm with them, I don't. I say, walk with them, don't walk with them. One of them said, well, then they'll think we're weak. I said, you are weak. What you just said is they drag you down. Well, I thought I would drag them up. That's not what's happening, is it? When you can lift them up, then great. I don't care if you hang with them. But right now, where you're at, you're saying it isn't working. So don't ask me for prayer what to do. Just do what you should do. Pretty simple. I added, the guy said, struggling with porn. True story. He says, I turn left out of the thing, and I go by this shop, and it's killing my marriage and my wife and us, and it's just terrible. And he said, will you pray with me? And I said, yeah, I said, you're going to think I won't pray with people. I, do. I said, no, I'm not praying with you. And he said, why? I said, you already know what to do. And he said, what should I do? I said, turn right instead of left. I said, if you don't go by the store, you're not going to go into it, are you? And he said, well, it would add 20 minutes to my drive home. I said, give me your phone. And he said, why? And I said, I want to talk to your wife. And he said, about what? I said, I want to see if she'll give you 20 extra minutes getting home if you know you're not putting all that garbage in your brain. He said, I already know. She'd say, take the 20 minutes so you don't need to call her. I said, that's what I probably figured, you know. In other words, some things, it isn't you have to be a Phi Beta Kappa to figure it out. I just got to do what I know I should do, run. Ephesians 4, 22 through 24 says there's a different issue with the flesh, though. You put off the old man, you put on the new through the renewing of your mind. I end up doing the things I think about. That's Proverbs 23, 7. As a man or a woman thinks, sorry. The things I think on, long and hard, become reasonable. So how about, Carl, start controlling what you think long and hard on? Do not think of a pink elephant. And whatever you do, you're in trouble if that pink elephant has red socks on. And it's got a green scarf on its nose, too. Don't think about a pink elephant. Don't think about it. What do you think of? Okay, I want you to think of a polar bear. Nasty polar bear. Big. Black nose, black paws, big old hooks. He's on a white iceberg. You got him? You're still thinking about a pink elephant. In other words, sometimes I just train my brain to think on the things. I had a friend that said, said I struggle with anger so much. I said, then take James 1, 19 and 20. As soon as you start feeling like blowing up, you just go through your brain. Be quick to hear, slow to speak, because the anger of man will not bring about the righteousness of God. One of my players, very foul-mouthed guy, came to Christ. He said, how come when I talk the way I did my whole career here, no one said anything, and now that I've come out as a Christian, as soon as I say anything wrong, they go, Christian, Christian? You said you're a Christian. What happened, Christian? I said, he's going to be in the Hall of Fame. I said, brother, I won't tell you who it is, but he'll be in the Hall of Fame. He said, I said, brother, welcome to the fishbowl. See, if they can knock you down, then they can feel better about doing the stuff they do. But every time they see you, you've radically changed. Uh, then you make them feel guilty. So before they didn't care about your language. He says, well, what do I do? I said, I want you to take Ephesians 4, 29 and 30. And every time you start feeling like saying something you shouldn't, I want you to think I want things out of my mouth that are peaceful, they're edifying, they're good for the moment. I said, the time it takes you to think that through, the moment will pass. You will not say something you're embarrassed of, and you don't have to apologize for the way you were talking. I'm choosing to think about the polar bear. I'm just shoving the elephant to the back. Is the elephant still there? Of course it's still there. I'm just not focused on the, on the elephant. Most of us, should I be lustful? No. Okay, I won't be lustful. I won't be lustful. Should I be envious? No. I won't be envious. I won't be envious. Should I be angry? I won't be angry, but I hate the sucker for what he did, but I won't be angry. I won't be I just keep reinforcing in my brain the very things I'm telling myself not to think about. Is it, is it sincere? Yes. Is it effective? No. Book says, start training your brain to think on what you want it to think on. 
There's nothing unbiblical about that. Galatians 5.16 is a third way to respond. Walk controlled by the Spirit. You will not carry out the strong desires of the flesh. Am I walking controlled by the Spirit? Well, I don't know. Same chapter. Are you seeing verses 22 and 23? You know, love, joy, peace, and patience. Or are you seeing 19 through 21? Sensuality, that's porn. Immorality, that's premarital, extramarital sex. Drunkenness, factions, fight. What, what, what do people see in your life? That's what's controlling you. Learn how to walk controlled by the Spirit, and you don't have to have 19 through 21. You can win on a consistent basis. It's too hot for me, then just run. Get away from it. I lose at that. Just be smart enough. It's not that hot. It's just I struggle. Then train your brain. Are any of those responses the same response you have with the world where you say, evaluate it and say, is this one for time or eternity? Here's the pluses. Here's the minuses. See, the evaluation and thinking that through, that's great for working with the world. But if I'm having porn thoughts, you know, whatever, I'm never, how long can I hang in here thinking of pluses and minuses before I make, I mean, just walk away. In other words, my response is not a tube sock. Read verses, memorize, and everything gets better. No, you're actually supposed to be a little bit strategic. When I come to the demonic, the third piece of the pot, James, the half-brother of Jesus, says verse uh, 7 and 8 out of of chapter 4, resist the devil, he will flee from you. The Apostle Peter says in 1 Peter 5, 6 through 9, resist the devil firmly in your faith and he will flee from you. Paul in chapter 6, where the whole thing is talking about warfare, you know, starting at verse 10 and going through 18, he says again, verse 13, I'm, I'm to remain strong. Antistete is the Greek word. It means to remain against. I oppose this. Remember when the, when the devil in, uh, in Matthew 4 says, hey, Jesus, you're awful hungry. Why don't you turn the stones to bread? Hey, you don't live on bread alone. Take a walk. Jesus, you're not getting the uh, publicity you should be getting. If you would just jump off the temple, then people would finally respect you and they'd think you're really the son of God because the angels in Psalm 102 say that you can't even strike your foot. He even quotes scripture for him, you know. Now you don't put the Lord your God to test. Take a walk. Jesus, if you would bow down to me, I can give all the glory of this all to you. He says, you worship God. Be gone. In other words, how long did he sit there and entertain the game? He didn't. Did he recognize the solicitation? Yes, he did. Well, what am I doing wrong that I'm getting shot at? Maybe you're walking with God. How many bullets do you shoot at a dead thing? How many arrows do you shoot at something that's already dead, assuming you're a bow hunter or something? You don't shoot dead things. Unless you shot it with a gun, but it was bow season, so you put an arrow through it so you don't get arrested or something, I guess. But, but I mean, you would never do that, especially in Minnesota. In other words, the idea is you save live ammo for things that are alive. You save it for enemies. I had a pastor that flew in from Florida and said, what am I doing wrong? I keep getting shot at. I said, maybe it's the wrong question. He said, what do you mean? I said, you've got 6,000 people in the church I spoke at where you pastor. I go, you're doing some things right. I said, if I was an enemy of yours, and if I'm a d- demon, I don't like you. I said, I'll tell you anything you'll listen to. You're fat, you're ugly, you're stupid, your wife doesn't like you, your kids think you're horrible, you're a terrible pastor. How are you ever going to preach sermons that help them at all? You know, you're, you're stupid. Your prayers bounce off the ceiling. How many times does God do things for other people he doesn't do for you? 
I mean, here you knock yourself out and finances are always a struggle and you've got other people barely walk with God and finances are a breeze. You know, God doesn't take care of you. You're always alone. Nobody really likes you. There's nobody you can really trust anyway. Who can you share with that they won't take your news and spread it? I've had from little to big say, I've, I've heard that stuff most of my life, and I just always think I'm crazy or there's something wrong with me. Where's my secret sin? I go, we have enemies. They shoot arrows. That's no big news. John says in Revelation 12, the accusers accuse us, accuse us day and night before the throne of God. You're fat, ugly. Why do you read your Bible? Why do you, why, why do you pray? Walk away from Jesus. You committed an unforgivable sin. I've had people say, what's blasphemy? And I go, why? I hear in my mind I'm a blasphemer and God doesn't love me. But I don't even know what a blasphemer is, so I know I'm not dreaming that up because I wouldn't even come up with that word. But it just seems like Jesus doesn't love you. I hear it all the time. You don't walk close enough with him. He's going to dump you like a, you know, welcome to the world of spiritual warfare. Well, if I tell anybody, they'll think I'm a freak. Okay, so hang on. And just pray to God it'll get better. And just plan on getting mocked. Because when it doesn't get better, then you're just going to keep hearing, He doesn't love you. He doesn't watch out for you. If He did, He'd take care of you. Turn your back on Him. I'm not told, evaluate this stuff and just keep running it through my brain. And make a choice. What's a better decision? Great for the world. I'm not told, run from demons. I'm told, run from the flesh if it's too hot. I'm told resist. That means I resolutely oppose you. I stand against what you're saying. It's a lie. Is there a difference between resisting and running? Say yes. If I haven't figured out how this stuff works, then do I resist or run? I don't know. So I'll run this time. I'll evaluate this time. I'll do that bears and elephants this time. Oh, maybe I'll resist. Maybe it's demonic this time. I guess I lose more than I win. I get beat up, and then I say, God, why don't you work for me? You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to start walking my talk before I talk my talk because I probably look so hypocritical. Probably people won't believe me anyway. How righteous. When are you going to know if you're walking your walk well enough that you can finally start talking your talk? Well, I don't know. I'll guarantee with archers there'll always be something else you've got to work on. And I can tell you as an ambassador for Christ, ambassadors for Christ that stay mute are rotten ambassadors. Pitiful ambassadors. I may not share things as well as he does. I, I'm, I'm not nearly as eloquent as his dad or he would, right? We both got a message. We both got a place. God doesn't say if you're eloquent, you know, I'll accept your message. But if you're just kind of out there, you know, uh-uh. Just stand. I'm not playing the game. Run. Why lose on purpose? I discovered I fall on my face without planning it. So why should I plan to fall on my face? You probably shouldn't be with those kids tonight, honey. Oh, Mom, what do you know? Mom's right. She knew me better than I knew myself. My dad was great. He just said, if you ever come home drunk or loaded, I will beat you till your mama can't recognize you. My dad was a tough cat that would have done it. So I was smart enough when I came home. If I'd gotten loaded that night or if I'd been drinking that night, uh, I did not come back to the house until I was either sober or my brain was clear again. Mom's way was better. She'd just wrap an arm around me and after a while I'd go, I can't do this to my mom. You know, I can endure the other with Pop. He had a belt. Oh, 
You know, we're going to have a timeout. Some of you get timeouts from your parents. I had, we're going to knock you out. You know, <laughs> knockout works way better than timeouts because timeouts, all you have to do is sit long enough, you know, knock you out. You, <laughs> you think twice about that. My dad never knocked me out, but man, he's he a tough guy. What am I saying? Don't lose on purpose. Don't take a beating on purpose. We all lose sometimes. It's part of learning and growing. It's true in any profession you're in. No one hits a thousand. Johnny Olerud, buddy, and I've worked with him for years. Good guy. He's retired now. Career 300 hitter. Should be in the Hall of Fame. I hope someday he is. Well, I thought you had to hit a thousand percent if you're, a, you know, if you're a professional. What professional hits a thousand? Nobody. You hit 300, you go to the Hall of Fame. Yet I think as a Christian, if I fall on my face, God's going to hate me. I go, don't plan it. But if you do learn from it, get up and walk on. I'll be harder to trick next time around. Oh, then you're telling me just live like H-E-L-L. I go, no, I'm not telling you that. I'm saying desire to walk with God. But if you fall on your face, you can lay there forever and feel sorry for yourself. And you can play the role of the victim. I'm just a victim. Everything's against me. Or you can remember, no, the one who loves me enough to die for me is the victor. That was that last song. If I'm on the side of the victor, why should I play the role of the victim? I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't. That's what those arrows will tell me. I can't stop from hearing them. They, they solicited Jesus, but I don't have to buy any of it. I'm done. I refuse. I'm nobody's victim. I'm victor because of Christ. Oh, you're arrogant. No, I'm arrogant if I think victory comes from me. I'm just smart and confident if I know. As long as I'm in Christ, he says, you know what? I'm, I'm tough for anything that's going to come after you. That's why Paul, remember Romans 8, 31? If God's for you, it doesn't matter who's against you. Yeah. Luke chapter 10, 18 to 20, I have given you the authority to tread upon serpents, scorpions, over all the power of the enemy. They shall in no wise harm you. Do not rejoice because spirits are subject to you. Rejoice because your names are recorded in heaven. Bill Murray was a ghost buster, made a lot of money probably. It's, it's cute. As a Christian, I just go, why do I have to fear the ones that Jesus stepped on and said, I've given you authority? So I don't have to run from man. Christ protects me. I don't have to run from demons. Christ says, I'll take care of you. Just don't be stupid and play games to the world, the flesh, or the devil. Why make yourself vulnerable? But don't live looking back over your shoulder. I can't, I can't, I can't. I'm Victor. I'm not Whiner. If people come whining, I want to evaluate. Is this because you're playing games or is this because you're getting beat up? If you're getting beat up, I'm not going to say just read your Bible and everything gets better. Shame on me. If you're a drama king or queen just playing games trying to suck me dry, find somebody else to suck dry. I don't have time because there's too many people that want help. Does that make sense? World, flesh, devil. What's the point? All three are mentioned. All three can whack you. All three, we've been given an adequate response to be able to win instead of lose. But if we don't know enough about the book to figure out what response to which, which attack, it's on us. And when I lose, instead of going, God, why don't you work? Why don't you take care of me? Maybe he's saying, I got it in the book. Why don't you read? And then why don't you apply what you read? You won't win all of them, but see if you win more than you lose. And see if you can say, I'm victor, not victim. Father, I pray you'd use it to your honor and glory through Jesus Christ. Amen.
Thank you, Carl. So uh, three years ago, the guys at our men's advance got to spend two solid days with this guy, and I'm sure a bunch of you are wishing, man, I, I'd love to pick his brain a little further on some of these things. Uh, Carl will be around here, I'm sure, for a little bit after the service if you'd like to come and, and chat with him. And again, just want to remind you, uh, you know, check out his book on spiritual warfare sometime. Uh, Carl did give us notes for his talk this morning, which are really terrific. And unfortunately, I didn't, I didn't have those in time to uh, print out for everybody. But I'm going to have those this coming week here at church for you. So if you'd like to stop by, uh, we'll probably have them out in the foyer. Um, and uh, for sure, by Wednesday night, next Sunday morning, if you'd like to pick up some of the notes from Carl's message today and, uh, and dig into some of these issues further. But uh, thank you, brother, for, for blessing us and giving us those words of encouragement. So let me, uh, let me close our time in a word of prayer. And ask God's blessing on the rest of our week. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for uh, your provision this weekend with our apologetics conference here at Lakes Free. Thank you for the, the powerful equipping that we received. Thank you, Lord, for keeping that snowstorm away and getting our speakers here safely. We, uh, we're just grateful that we were able to, to have this conference and have so many visitors with us from, from all over. And just, uh, it was a great time. And we just pray a blessing over, over Carl and over Phil as they head back to Seattle this afternoon. Give them safety in their travels, Lord. Mostly, God, we pray for, for their, their ongoing ministry. We pray for you to continue to use these guys to proclaim your truth boldly, to, uh, to point more and more people to Jesus, to point more and more people to the freedom that we have in Christ. And uh, just bless these guys. Bless their families. Bless their wives, their kids. And uh, we're just thankful that they took some time to come and share with us this weekend. Be with my friends now, Lord, as we head out from this place. God, I just pray that you would uh, encourage us, inspire us, embolden us to live more passionately as ambassadors of Jesus Christ. As we go back in our neighborhoods, our workplaces this week, help us to, to fearlessly point people to Jesus. To not be ashamed of the, the gospel of Jesus Christ, which is the power of God unto salvation for everyone who believes. Thank you for what you've done in our hearts, Lord, and give us the conviction and the courage to share that with others. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you, everybody. Have a great week.